a God with that much of a desire to have an intimate relationship with us is worth trusting. Thank you for that song. Church attendance, giving tithe, even saying prayers and running, running and, and reading a devotional on our way out the door, all that means nothing apart or outside of a relationship with Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And yet many are those that live this kind of Christianity. And what is Jesus trying to do in the meantime? He's trying to get our attention. Come home. Come home. Getting our attention, but many of his callings and warnings are disregarded. And we continue with our double dealing. We profess to be something that we're not. And all Jesus wants, all that he longs for, is for us to discover and experience the strength of allegiance. The strength of allegiance. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we open the Word of God. Our Father in heaven, here we are in your holy, holy, holy presence. And we feel so welcome as unholy as we are because you are a God that we can trust. And we pray, Lord, that as we open your word that you would speak to us. Speak, Lord, for we want to listen. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago marked the 35th year anniversary of the Challenger space shuttle explosion that killed seven astronauts shortly after takeoff on January 28, 1986. The space shuttle exploded 74 seconds into the flight. As many Americans watched the takeoff from Kennedy Space Center near Cape Canaveral, Florida. It was later reported that NASA managers had disregarded warnings from engineers about the dangers of launching in such cold temperatures. And they had failed to adequately report these technical concerns to their supervisors disregarded warnings, seven astronauts believed that they were fully prepared to make history in space. But if only the warnings had been taken seriously, then a high school teacher and six mission specialists would not have had to close their earthly history Solemn thoughts. Invoking yet another sobering thought is an impactful sentence that I found in the book Christian Service, written by Ellen G. White in the 19th century. Listen to what she had to say. It is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 names registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Not surprisingly, this, this inspired statement that was written several decades ago corresponds with recent findings by researcher George Barna. He discovered the disturbing, disturbing fact that people who call themselves Christians, but have not experienced a dramatic conversion to, in faith or to faith in Christ Jesus, are, quote, a group that constitutes a majority of churchgoers. In his years of research, 
He came to discover this reality about the countless thousands that go to church. And they're good people who in some cases have been attending church for a long time. And and they'll say, I know I'll go to heaven when Jesus comes because, and then they'll give the reasons why they have that assurance that they'll be in heaven when Jesus comes. Those reasons include, I'm I'm a law-abiding citizen, or, you know, I'm baptized, or I'm a member in good and regular standing. I'm a vegan. You hear all the reasons. I have a position in the church. Oh, and it's a big one. I, I, I read a devotional book as I'm eating my Wheaties. I even look like a Christian. Look at me. And so on and so forth. But I'm here to tell you breaking news that one can have all these good characteristics. Don't get me wrong, they're good characteristics and even practices. But the question that remains is to whom have I given my allegiance? Who has my heart? And the sobering reality is that many are sincerely lost in the church. You thought I was going to talk about those out there. Nah. In the church. According to Christianity Today magazine, there are five kinds of Christians in the church. They came up with five. There's active Christians. We could say they walk the walk and talk the talk. Then there's professing Christians. Let's just say that they know how to talk the talk. And that's all. Then you have the ritualistic Christians, and and they simply go through the motions, and they do it very well. Then you have the private Christians. Oh, they're Christians? I had no idea. And then you have the cultural Christians. Ah, they're born and raised. Some cases, second, third, fourth, fifth generation Christians. And they know how it's done. But frankly, all these terms... For me personally, they, 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 they sound too politically correct. They're just, just a little bit too labeled, too, too formal, I don't know. And I just like the way Jesus puts it. Jesus calls it what it is. Hmm. You see, Jesus, he was a master Torah storyteller, and, and he taught that there's really only two kinds of Christians. Not five, not ten, not twenty. Really, just two. Two kinds of Christians. Only two kinds, and therefore two classes of people in every church. Like I said, he was such a master storyteller. Oh, he told good stories, good parables. Using object lessons to illustrate his point. And in one parable, he spoke of the wheat and the tares. If you have your Bibles, come with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Whether you have your Bibles or your devices, come with me to Matthew chapter 13. Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus speaks. Those words are in red. Jesus spoke them Himself. Matthew 13, verse 24. You can follow along till verse 30. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... He often started his parables that way. 
Like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did, 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 did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. Let them grow together until the harvest. What Jesus is simply communicating through this parable is that the wheat, or those who are loyal to God, will grow together with tares, or those who are disloyal to God, until the end of time. That's, that's, that's the straightforward message he's communicating through this parable. It's, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul, who's a man who's been there, he's been all over the place, he's been visiting all the churches, and he wrote in his letters often that he encountered these two classes of people. During his time visiting all the churches. Of course, Paul comes after Christ. And so what Christ just said is being confirmed by Paul in his experience. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 a few times there, of several dangers that he experienced or faced in his travels when visiting his brethren. He recalled, among others, and this is Paul writing his his experience, he said, perils in the city, I encountered it all, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea. He's writing all these dramatic experiences he had, but don't miss this one. He writes, Perils among false brethren. In that same chapter, he warned. Now, as an apostle and minister of the gospel himself, he warned of false apostles and ministers of Satan. I mean, he's using strong language. He's calling it what it is. Speaking to the church elders from Ephesus, there in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, he writes, also from among yourselves, a.k.a. the church, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. And in his epistle to the Galatians, he wrote of how some false brethren have infiltrated the ranks of true brethren. You get the picture. And there are several other passages that could be added to this, to this list of, 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 of classes of people, too, mainly in the church. And all these cases and more fulfilled the words of Jesus when he said, let them grow together, together. Let them grow together. And as you can see, Scripture repeatedly warns Warns of, of false brethren, false apostles, false disbelievers within the church. And so using Barna's term, the scriptures warned of lost churchgoers millenniums ago. And it still sounds the same alarm today. The Living Translation describes them this way. They act religious. Act. It's an act. Actors act. They act religious, but they reject the power that could make them godly. I love the way that's worded, translated. They reject the power that could make them godly. 
They are from every walk of life, just as those who are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are from all walks of life. Two classes of people in the church today. Again, Ellen G. White, in a book entitled Testimonies to Ministers, wrote the following line. While the Lord brings into the church those who are truly converted, Satan at the same time brings persons who are not converted into its fellowship. At the same time, again, corresponds with what Jesus said. Let them grow together, together. Make no mistake about it. While, on the one hand, teachable, teachable men and women grow in Christ, the pretenders in the church are growing too, but in sin. Like a vine that starts small, but smothers an entire wall, sin grows. Like a cute cub that becomes a lion, sin grows. Like a tapeworm that starts microscopic, but can ruin the body, sin grows. And while the righteous are being transformed more and more by Christ, the unrighteous in the church are also being transformed by sin. While the seeds that God planted in the heart are sprouting and producing fruit, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Galatians 5. At the same time, the seeds that the devil planted are also sprouting and growing worse. And you're going to see two things happening in the church in the time of the end as we approach the coming of Christ. Two things are going to happen. You're going to see unity in the church. And it just thrills my heart when I hear the stories, when I hear the reports coming from different parts of the world. God's at work. God's on the move. And you're going to hear the stories of unity in the church And you're going to see rebellion in the church. All at the same time. The author of the book of Hebrews distinguishes between the two classes. Turn over with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I appreciate Paul's language here as he writes about this in his epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. It's it's very, it appeals to the heart. He's being a preacher here. He's, 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 He's appealing to the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Implying that you can, and you have that choice. You can will to refuse. But he says, do not refuse him who speaks. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. If we turn away, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake Not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal, don't miss this, the removal of those things which are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. According to the text, those who are loyal to God and His cause are the ones who remain. In his church. Because they're not shaken. 
While those who are disloyal to God, those who refuse to listen, those who turn away from God, will be shaken out before the return of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And those who remain, and those who are shaken out, the shaking is both good and bad news. The shaking is good news. Good news to those who are willing to be transformed by Christ. They come. They listen to the word of God with the heart of faith that will engage with the word and will welcome the word to do its work in us. It's good news. It's good news to them. Real good news. Why? Because they'll remain in his rest. They will remain in his care, in his rest. And, and being transformed by his grace means that they will exert a telling influence by the way that they treat the hurting of the church, the hurting within the church. They will love. They will reflect that character that won their hearts over. Those who remain do not repay evil with evil. Not the ones who remain. They, they do not return insult for insult. On the contrary, they, 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 they repay evil with blessing and then love the unlovable. You know, there is going to come a time. Be sure of this. There will come a time when the church, by the church I mean the visible body of Christ on earth, the church, it will appear to collapse. And it's going to be frightening. But Christ, remember, He loves His bride. See, we can't forget that. The church is His bride. I have memories of walking with my wife Heidi at different times, going on hikes, walking along, and, and there I'm just behind her, and we're climbing, we're stepping, we're, we're climbing rocks, we're making our way on this journey, and, and as I see my wife in front of me, my bride, the moment that I see that it appears that she's about to just stumble and really hurt herself... I do whatever I have within me to hold her and hold her so that she doesn't fall. And following the words of Jesus, come on, how much more, <laughs> how much more? Christ is not going to allow his bride, the church, to fall. The church isn't going anywhere. It remains it remains. And so will its two disciples who trust and abide in him. They remain. And as Christ illustrated, the, the shaft will be separated from the precious wheat. During the time of the end, as we await the return of Christ, that as we see that separation, it's going to be a painful experience very painful, but it has to happen. Friends who walk with us in the church will become the church's bitterest enemies. Preachers who preach, preach behind the pulpit today will be speaking out against Bible truth tomorrow. It will hurt, but nevertheless, it must take place. It must take place. And as we watch the ever increasingly increasing in, in tension and intensity and frequency of 
the signs in politics, the signs in our society, the signs in, in the religious world, the signs in the, in the natural world, as we see these signs increase in intensity and frequency, which is, which is the key, what we should be watching and praying for, as we see all this happen, as we see all this happen, one thing we can be sure that we are now in the time of the shaking because we're living at the time of the end. It's happening. It's happening now. When division takes place within the church. Division. Division. But... But pastor, some of you might be thinking right now, I suppose that Jesus came to give peace on earth. I don't like that word division. Pastor, don't talk about Christ bringing division. Well, rather than me responding to that question, let's allow Jesus himself to give us a response. Come with me to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read the words of Jesus himself. For those with red letter edition in your Bibles, these letters will be in red. Jesus spoke them. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 to 53. Listen. He said, verse 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all but rather division. What? Let's keep reading. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Whoa! That was a little too much. <laughs> Why so much division going on? One person against another and another against another? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. The cherished sin of those who have a form of godliness reacts when it's in the presence of godliness. In fact, I would add brother against brother to Jesus' list here. Why? Because remember, Cain was divided against his brother Abel. And as you recall that story that we know too well, it's a heartbreaking story. The perfect family just... A, a little bit later, becomes a mess. Dysfunctional to the max. And here we have Cain murdering his brother, brother Abel. And why did he do that? Was it because Abel provoked Cain into a frenzy of rage? Was Abel like that annoying little brother who, who, who was asking for it? Is that what happened? Did he instigate a fight? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. That morning, Cain and Abel showed up at the same church service and heard the same sermon preached by God himself about sacrifices, which ones are acceptable and which ones are not. And they both had a choice to make in response. Abel remained faithful. And don't miss this. He remained faithful. He remained faithful. And it was his testimony of primitive godliness that ignited anger in Cain's unsanctified heart. Abel was being faithful. He's listed in the, in the Hebrews 11 chapter of faith, hall of faith. He was being faithful. But it was his faithfulness 
not Abel himself, but his faithfulness that provoked the unsanctified heart of his brother Cain. You see, Abel's allegiance, Abel's faithfulness, Abel's fidelity was not responsible for Cain's disloyalty, Cain's faithlessness, and, and Cain's infidelity. No, they each were responsible for their own choices. Abel's allegiance was to God. And Cain's disloyalty caused him to be shaken out. The Genesis account simply says that he, Cain, went out from the presence of God. It's not to say that it was a location, this, 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 this radius where, where, he, where he left where God was. I'm going to go over here because God's over there. No, that's not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is that he was shaken out. He left a committed relationship with his God. He did not remain. You know, and Jesus seems to give a hint at what will cause many within the church to be shaken out of the church before he returns. And he gives us this, this hint in, in a parable, another parable, found in Matthew chapter 13. Let's go back to Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Here we find another parable, parable of the sower. And, and Jesus is describing how some seed, many of you are familiar with this story, some seed fell by the wayside. Remember the sower's tossing seed? Uh, some fell on stony places, others fell among thorns, and while others fell on good soil. And Jesus himself explains what it all means. Thank the Lord for that. And notice how he explains the seed that fell on stony places. That's, that's, that's the seed that I want to focus in on. The seed that fell on stony places. Um, Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Matthew 13, 20 and 21, it says, But he who received the seed on stony places, here we go, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. How are you going to receive the word? Unless you're in the church where the word is being preached and receives it joyfully. How many times does a preacher hear, thank you, pastor, for that great message. Thank you, pastor. I was blessed. Thank you, pastor. Thank you, pastor. Oh, yeah. We all receive it joyfully. We all heard the word. Implying that we're in the church. But he goes on. Yet, he has no root in himself. Mm, we're getting to the heart of why some will be shaken out. There is no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Notice the next line. For when tribulation or persecution arises... Because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Mm. Notice that Jesus didn't say, if persecution arises. Mm -mm, he didn't say that. He said, for when persecution arises. It's not a matter of if, but when it happens. And what is persecution in this context? In, in the context that Jesus speaks, in the context, in the biblical context, what is persecution? Well, since the days of Cain and Abel, since the days of Cain and Abel, it continues to be hostility. Hostility. Because 
of the word. That is to say, because of one strong allegiance to the word, Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us, the word, and because of biblical convictions found from a study of the word, the scriptures. Because of the word. It's hostility against those that have that intimate relationship with Christ, against those that have deep biblical convictions of the word, persecution comes their way. And when the test comes, who will stand? Who will remain? There might be a knowledge of the truth. Oh, I've given countless Bible studies. It's all here. Ask me any question. Test me, one will say. I know it all. I know lots of Bible knowledge. There might be a knowledge, but if there's no love of the truth, if there are no convictions, if there's no standards, if there's no principles, if there is no allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, if there is no absolute surrender to Him, persecution will come. And persecution will cause many to fall away. And fall away rather quickly when persecution comes. Most of you know that I grew up as a PK. You know what that stands for, right? PK. Preacher's kid or pastor's kid. My sister and I would go to ministerial retreats in the Texas conference when we lived there for some years. And we would go to this ranch. It was the, the, the summer camp for the Texas conference at that time. It was called Namus Valley Ranch. Namus Valley Ranch. And we would go there during the summer. And man, the summers were hot. And we would go and, and we would play games up in the, in, the, in the woods. And you know, you know what we would play? A game, a simple game we made up. And we just um, called it persecution. And what we did was we, 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 we would build these stone shelters. Because they had these really flat stones. And we would, you know, you know build this stone shelter. And then we would pack sack lunches, and, and we would store them under, under the, you know, the sticks and hide them, you know. And, and then we would, we would just play that we were being persecuted for our faith, and, and, and we had to just be, be sneak around and, 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 and be, you know, and be quiet and, and, and hide. And we spent hours doing this. That's what PKs do, I guess. I don't know. But you know what, though? It might be fun to play now. But one day, it's not going to be our imagination. It will come to the United States of America, the land of the free. But in much greater degree than it has been before, in its relatively short history. We're a young nation, really. But it's coming. It's coming. Yes, we have seen and, 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 and we continue to see in this country uh, much hostility. One could argue that persecution has been happening and they would be right. Hostility because of race. Hostility because of political beliefs. But in terms of hostility because of religious beliefs, we haven't seen anything yet. Religious persecution will come. Yes, we have various types of persecution. Sadly, 
And there is, there is a time and a place to speak up against these injustices. Jesus often did. But when it comes to hostility because of religious convictions, none of us have been there. Now, some brothers and sisters in, in China have. Some brothers and sisters in Asia, in, in Africa, they have. But here in the United States of America, yes, we'll see, we'll see some, but we haven't seen anything yet. We have seen and continue to see in this country hostility, but religious hostility will come. This I know, for the prophecies of Revelation tell me so. If you have yet to take time to dig deep into the prophecies of Revelation, to discern the times that we live in, and to discover what is to come, that there's going to be tribulation coming as never seen before. And it involves the United States of America. Talk to us. We'll study. We'll dig deep so we can understand, so we can watch and we can pray. But Revelation 13, ooh, it's a heavy chapter. And it outlines things to come. When church and state executive orders are pronounced and churchly mandates are declared, when churches are locked down on Saturdays and religious gatherings are limited to Sundays, and all the while, the religious majority complies with the church and state and federal restrictions. Hmm. On whose side will we stand? My friends, make no mistake about it. We're getting a taste of these things to come. It's time to wake up. It's time to discern the times that we live in as we go through this, shall I say, dress rehearsal of sorts? Whose side will we stand when that day comes? Ellen G. White gives his, her word of caution. She writes, those who have step-by-step step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the power that be, rather than subject themselves to derision, insult, threatened imprisonment, and death. She continues, As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition by uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit. When the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Going back to the words of Jesus, because there is no root in themselves. When the storms come, when the wind blows, those roots that are superficial, those, those, that, 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 that superficial profession of, of discipleship, of, 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 of Christianity, won't endure the winds that come, and the wind will pick those up, and they shall not remain. Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Notice the words of Jesus himself. He's the one who speaks in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. You know why many go in by it? I'll tell you why many go in by it. In fact, L.G. White already pointed that out. 
Because it's the popular easy way. So convenient. The majority are going that way. Therefore, I will follow. And many are those that go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. Let them grow together. The winds will come. Not all will remain. But those who find the way, the truth, and the life, those who find it are unshaken. In part two, we're going we're gonna to examine what will be the spiritual disciplines of the disciples of Christ. Disciplines. Disciples. Disciples. Disciplines. Hmm. Men and women who are not shaken, for they will practice those disciplines in the last days. You know, there is a kind of Christianity worth living. There is a, a, Christian, a kind of Christianity that is worth sending out into the non-Christian world. And I'm not just saying across the seas. I'm talking, I'm talking about our surrounding areas. There is a kind of Christianity that is worth sharing to those across our streets. And it is the kind of Christianity, rather, it is the kind of life that Jesus Christ lived himself. And the Christianity that Christ himself lives is the only kind of living worth experiencing. And it's the kind that is lived out because Christ lives in my heart. Today as we, as we take these thoughts to heart, I know that there's some of us here today that have not surrendered unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he pleads. He calls out. He calls you by name. We have surrendered our sins to Christ, but not our wills. And, in, and if there's anything in your life, anything in your life, this very moment, that you know that you have not surrendered all, you've been withholding that from the Lord, it's that one thing. And as the Holy Spirit convicts you right now, you're, you're beginning to, to be honest with yourself, and you're discovering that I've been holding on to it because I've been justifying it. I've been excusing it. I've been blaming others for it. Whatever that thing might be, you're holding on to it. Won't you give it to Him right now? Just, just give it to Him. And in doing so, you are declaring your allegiance to the Lord. No more double-mindedness. No, that's no more. Every habit of your life, every ambition, every hope, every loved one, every possession, and yourself, all these He must have. If He is to be your Lord and Savior, if He is to be your life and your strength, if He is to be the one in which you are safe and secure. So when the storms come, you ain't going anywhere. The wind isn't going to blow, pick you up and blow you away. No, your roots will be deep. Why? Because you have found in Jesus a safe place. Someone you can trust. Someone worth trusting with all that you have. And today... This Jesus 
makes you a promise. Jesus, God with us, makes you a promise. You've got to let that just sink in. Others make promises. And we know they don't always keep them. Your closest friend, your spouse, makes promises, has, has made promises. But even our closest ones don't always keep their promises. God always keeps his promises. And he makes these promises to you. He gives you the assurance of salvation. He promises. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has life, whoever has the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's a promise of salvation. You can have life right now. He promises. He gives us the assurance of answered prayer. He promises in John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's various needs in your life right now. And you can have this long list. And the reality is that for several of those requests, yes, God will sometimes say, yes, no, wait. But we're not talking about those requests. I'm talking about the request that says, Jesus, save me. When Jesus hears those words coming out of your heart, he's there immediately reaching out to take a hold of your life and save you. Jesus gives us the assurance of victory. He says, listen, no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We have nothing to fear for what is coming. When Jesus makes a promise, he keeps it. You will always, with no exception, always have the time and opportunity to discern the way of escape. And guess what? It's Jesus himself. After all, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He promises. He promises forgiveness, the assurance of forgiveness. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God, no more denying, no more justifying, no more excusing, No more blaming others. If we agree, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promises, and He promises the assurance of guidance in the days ahead. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. If you're leaning, that means you're not safe and secure on firm foundation. If you're leaning and the storms come, you will fall. You will be shaken out. But don't trust in your own heart. Trust in Him with all your heart, and in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. You see, these are the promises given to us In the time of the end, when we have a choice to make, a commitment to secure, and an intimate relationship to experience, how many of you today choose to stand on the promises of God? We just looked at five, just five promises that can count on one hand. But there's hundreds, thousands of promises just for you. Whatever circumstance you're in, I don't care how messed up it is, how dysfunctional, whatever circumstance you're in, 100% 
of all your circumstances have a promise from God that corresponds directly, precisely, specifically to what you're going through. Seek and you shall find. The promises are there. Seek the promise and you'll find it. And we can choose right now to stand on the promises of God. Because I'll tell you right now, those who stand on the rock, those who stand on Christ, those who stand on the promises of God will not be shaken. They will stand. But if we're going to stand then, we need to stand now. What makes you think that you're going to be ready then? And I'll conclude with an illustration that just happened this morning when I was in the fellowship hall making photocopies. I felt a little rushed. You know, well, I had, to, I had things to do, right? So I had to make copies. I get to the copying machine and, and I turn it on and I'm ready to make my copy. Come on, I got I to do this. I got to do this. And then you know what the printer tells me? Warming up. Warming up. And then, then I heard it go, ching, 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 you know, you know the com- noises c- machines make. And I'm thinking, okay, you got to, you've had enough time to warm up. Only to see that it continues to say warming up. I'm like, unreal, unreal. And then it finally, finally says Ready. The audacity of the computer to respond that way. It says, ready. Well, as I saw, thought about those things, it just hit me. As I was waiting, it hit me. That here I am, preparing for the coming of Christ. And if I don't prepare, if I don't surrender all, if I don't, be, if I don't enter into an abiding relationship with God, When he returns, if my response is, wait, Lord, I'm warming up, it's going to be too late. And if we don't begin now, we're not going to be ready when it's time. We're still going to be warming up. Instead, I want to be ready. Ready. Who will stand on the promises of God right here, right now and choose to allow Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord and master of your life. If that is your choice, I invite you to stand with me right now. Stand on the promise of God. Is that your choice? Amen, sister. Amen, brother. For those of you in online, this is an appeal for you as well. If not now, when? If not us, who? God is preparing a people. And he's begun a good work. And he's going to complete it. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for just talking to our hearts with words that we needed to hear today. For to live another day, another week, may have been too late. We thank you for the way that your grace works in us. It's always sufficient. You always show up right on time. The greatest of it all is that you initiate the encounter. You've met with us here today. And Lord, we have responded. We choose to stand on your promises, for we believe. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the seal of the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts and keep us faithful in a world that's going to make it more and more and even more difficult. But with you, with us, we're going all the way. Because with Christ, we will do all things. 
and endure until the end. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.